Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to Dose of Leadership. So happy you're tuning in. Whitney Cronkey is on the show today. She's the co-founder and board president of the Playing for Change Foundation. It's a nonprofit organization dedicated to connecting the world through music by providing resources to musicians and their communities all around the world. The Playing for Change Foundation is dedicated to this fundamental idea that peace and change are possible through the universal language of music. They currently have 15 programs operating across 11 countries, which basically is serving over 2,000 children weekly. It's pretty amazing. They work closely with each local community, and they've created these safe learning environments for children that offer access to technology, musical instruments, and supplies that have been previously unavailable. In addition to this foundation, Whitney works as part of the Playing for Change Films artistic teams, which they seek to discover music on the streets and in the hearts of musicians worldwide. And to this date, Playing for Change has completed two feature-length documentary films, 12 albums, and 202 videos. The first album, Playing for Change, Songs Around the World, debuted at number 10 on the Billboard charts in April 2009. And Playing for Change videos have been viewed over 900 million times on YouTube. It's an amazing story, and one my big takeaway from talking with Whitney is that when you have the courage to kind of go with this gut, this idea, and sometimes good enough is just good enough. And the initial idea, when they set out, it wasn't to create this foundation. This idea was to just capture and discover the music on the streets and in the hearts of musicians all over the world. And we talk about that. We talk about kind of the uniqueness of the, the artist, the creative side, and having that courage to put something out there for the sake of adding value. And you've heard me talk about on this show, to become a leader of influence, to become someone of influence. Influence is about adding value and not expecting anything in return. And you look at some of these hearts of these dyed-in-the-wool street musicians. They do it because they feel like they have to do it, because they want to do it. And one story, one example she gave is a gentleman is like, why, why are you out here? How can we support, support you? And he said, man, I'm just in the joy business. And I love this idea. This is a unique conversation. It's a departure from a lot of the conversations that we've had on Dose of Leadership. But I do think that if you're going to be an effective leader, you have to tap into the spiritual and creative side of your being, of that emotional quotient piece. The emotional intelligence piece is what's going to put you far ahead. And it's what's needed. There's such a vacuum of what I consider authentic, emotionally connected leadership. And that's really at the heart of what we get in this conversation. You're really going to enjoy Whitney, what she stands for, the story behind how this foundation was created. And the big lesson, too, that I learned is like when you go down that path, just take the leap. You don't know where it's going to lead you. How many times have you heard me talk to people on the show and I ask them, did you think you'd be doing what you're doing today? And they said, I had absolutely no idea. But the thread is that they took a leap at some point. And then when a door presented themselves an opportunity... And sometimes it's two or three doors. They went through it, and they went and saw on the other, other side. And it's that kind of chain of events that leads you into this kind of rich path that otherwise wouldn't have been possible. And so instead of thinking and thinking we got to have these linear plans and everything planned out and mapped out, I think sometimes you got to go with what's put on your heart, put on your soul. And if something's gnawing at you to do something and capture it, and in a particular if it feels frightening to do, then you need to work through it. 
and take that leap and you never know how things are going to end up. That's the big takeaway from from my from this conversation. It was just absolutely fabulous. I really enjoyed it. Hey, this show's brought to you by my course, Legacy Leader Blueprint. Look, I understand how difficult it can be to get effective leadership training done for your team. Every organization I've worked in and the ones that I've coached, the HR department's always like, man, I want to do the fun stuff of HR, but I'm buried in compliance and recruiting and OSHA stuff and all the compliance stuff. The human resource stuff, the leadership stuff, hardly ever gets done. It never seems like you have the time and it never seems like you have the budget. Well, Legacy Leader Blueprint solves that problem. Quality leadership training that doesn't disrupt your busy schedule or break your budget. It's an online video course. includes 20 high-impact videos and six hours of live group coaching with me that will allow you and your team to become true leaders of influence. The course teaches you how to defeat mediocrity and stagnation, create high-impact cultures of initiative, and build empowered teams with high degrees of implicit trust. Four modules, Leadership Fundamentals, Module 2, Leading Yourself, Module 3, Leading Others, Module 4, Advanced Leadership Topics. I've taken 30-plus organizations through this course, and the beautiful thing is we can do this online, particularly with this lockdown and the COVID-19 stuff. We can do this remotely through Zoom. If you're interested and you want to learn more, go to doseofleadership.com and click on Legacy Leader Blueprint, and you can learn more. Or reach out to me directly at richard.doseofleadership.com, and we can set up a time where we can talk and see if this might be a good fit for you and your team. All right. Thanks for tuning into the show. Thanks for being a supporter of this show. And so let's join this conversation with Whitney Cronkey, the co-founder and board president of Playing for Change Foundation here on Dose of Leadership. Whitney, so excited that you're on Dose of Leadership. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. So much to ask you. I'm curious, you know, I, I did the homework and in, in, uh, looking at the, the Playing for Change Foundation how did this all start for you? I mean, I, there's so much I could go, you know, we could go typically like, when did this all start? But I'm curious about why the creatives, why the arts, why music for you? Um, I started in the arts really young. I grew up in Missouri um, in like a middle-sized town. And I started out um, kind of like in every activity that you could think of, um, but was really drawn toward dance was my primary uh, primary activity that I loved and my primary passion. And I ended up dancing and professionally and going on to work outside of after college in theater. And I just, for me, music and dance are so intertwined um, that when the conversation about playing for change came up, it was a no brainer. It was a, it was an easy transition between the two art forms. So that is long story short, how I got to music. And then what is, take me back to the, the foundation of playing for change. I mean, mm-hmm. how did it happen and, and what was the genesis? What was the spark that made you say, Absolutely. Hey, yeah. So playing for change, it was really interesting. I was working, um, doing a play in London um, and I was in my early 20s and I was working with a bunch of actors that had, it was a very international troupe of actors and performers. And a lot of them had studied together at a school in Paris. And one of the disciplines that they studied was mime. And a lot of times you see mime performing outside in public on the street. Right. And it was a conversation that one has, like you do in your early 20s, you ponder and pontificate. And um, <laughs> right. you get a bunch of, bunch of actors and dancers and musicians in a living together in a house and working on a, on a production. We all, uh, you know, we talk about stuff like this a lot. 
And we were talking about how brave it is for people to actually go out and perform live in front of people and your audience is right there in front of you, as opposed to having the distance of the camera in between you and your audience, or even like when you're on a stage and you have, you know, the freedom of looking out and the audience is, is, is dark when you're performing. So to go out on the street and have your audience right in front of you is a whole different, uh, different discipline, a different, a different situation. And we, we talked about this a lot and it was, it was something that, you know, we all just found really compelling and, and interesting. And I was talking to a friend of mine back home in Los Angeles. I had moved to Los Angeles after college and he said, Oh, when you get done with your play in London, um, since you're so interested in street performance, you need to talk to my friend, Mark. Uh, he's a sound engineer. He just won a Grammy award and he's really interested in street musicians and the immediacy of the performance of street musicians and figuring out a way to capture how uh, these performances as they're happening live, as opposed to pulling people out of the street and putting them in a recording studio. So when I got back from London, I was there about six months, um, this mutual friend set up a meeting between Mark Johnson, my now partner of 18 years uh, in playing for change, and he and I sat down for a drink, kind of uh, like this conversation we're having right now, just to talk about our shared interests. And by the end of that meeting, we had decided to kind of throw all of our all of our passions together and all of our resources together and set out to make a documentary on street musicians. Right. And that was the very first playing for change. <laughs> and what is it about you said you, you said a little bit about it, about the street musicians and, and what kind of struck you is, is mm -hmm. kind of the courage that it takes. And, and you're right when you, you put it in that context is that mm -hmm. all art really and all creativity demands a great deal of courage. Mm -hmm. And I never really yeah. looked at it that way until I started kind of studying the arts. I got to tell you, I came to the creative side of, of, of myself and mm -hmm. the power of creativity, uh, the power of, of the unifying action of creativity, not until the last 10 years. And I'm 50, almost 52 years old, right? And it's weird how – I guess what I'm trying to say is I never fully realized – no matter what you're pursuing from elite, this is a leadership podcast. I talk to entrepreneurs, people who accomplish great things. There's a tremendous amount of the creative aspect of human natures to, to, to accomplish significant things. And I think naively, I kind of thought for the longest time that it was all about hard work processes, you know, the other side of your brain. Does that make sense? And I don't think yeah. you can fully lead. And I guess my point, all this, what I'm saying is I have come late to the realization late in life that you cannot fully accomplish a life of significance without tapping in. It's the creative and spiritual side of you. What do you think when you hear me say that? Uh, I think absolutely. I think it's a side that, well, it is, is of equal importance, if not more, um, than the, than the discipline and, and the, and the hard work. I mean, you hear a lot about left brain and right brain. And I think, you know, in, in today's world, we are so focused on the next thing and the next step and the next accomplishment, the next goal. We're such a goal-oriented society. Right. And that eliminates and can eliminate, not that setting goals is a, is a bad thing at all, um, but it can, it can take up a lot of space in your head. Um, and I think that 
enable in order to really grow and evolve and reach these next levels, you have to free up some space to um, think nonlinear and to work nonlinear and to participate in a nonlinear matter. I mean, that for me, that's what dance was for me growing up. I'm not particularly from an artistic family per se. I mean, I have my, my parents are both can both be creative. My dad can draw very well. And my mom is wonderful. Like they're just, they are creative souls, but they didn't grow up. My mom is a nurse. My dad's a businessman. And he grew up working on a lumber yard in a German family in Missouri. It's just, you know, it's do, do, do. Um, and, and so the dance for me, when I, I was fortunate that they were very supportive of that passion. Um, but it was, it was for me just such a tremendous release and balance to, the goal setting of school and, you know, trying to accomplish, you know, certain grades and leadership roles and getting into the, co- the right college and, and all of that stuff for me, dance is, is, was my balance um, and my way of, of my meditation and, and, and getting out of that, that side of my head that is, was so goal focused. And I think it helped me tremendously in the long run. I, I agree with you. I think that, and there was a couple things that happened to me that, that made me, kind of go down this path. Well, first was reading, have you ever read Stephen Pressfield's The War of Art? Not The Art of War by Sun Tzu, but Stephen Pressfield's The War of okay, Art. Okay, no, I have not read The it, War of Art. It, you, it would resonate but, with you. But deep. I'm going to now. Yeah, it's a, it's a very thin book. You could read it in, in one or two sittings. But it's very powerful because it talks about, um, and he's a creative, he's an he's an author, but for his, his whole life he fought it, right? He He had this kind of, calling, if you will, or the muse or the angels or the universe had put on his soul mm-hmm. that he should be a writer. He knew that from a very young age, but he mm. fought it for the longest time, all the way up until his forties. And, you know, he did all kinds of things, you know, um, he was in the Marine Corps, he was a truck driver, failed two divorces, became an alcoholic. And finally, when he was kind of all destitute and everything was kind of lost, he, he like this stereotypical or the kind of the cliche went up to a log cabin with no power and sat down with an old typewriter and cranked out his first novel. Right. <laughs> and it never saw the light mm-hmm. of day, wow. but, but that was the, that was the, when he pulled it out and put the end on the last page, that was the, the, the point of no return for him. And his point was, is that the universe, the angels, the muse or whatever, put something on your heart, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And, if you don't pursue it, if you and if it's important to you, there's this real thing called resistance, and resistance will try to stop you, right? And that resistance is real, be it your limiting beliefs in your head, your closest ally, friend, spouse, family member telling you, oh, you weren't meant to be this, you should focus on this, right? And all these things right. are coming at you. And so if you ignore all that and you continue to work through it despite the resistance, that the universe has to move anyway. Does that make sense? And I just think that's yes, so, absolutely. so it's so applicable, I think, not only to art, to creating a painting, um, a, a book, a novel, a dance, a, chore- a you know, choreographed dance, mm-hmm. whatever, starting your own business, achieving something in, in life. It demands a tremendous amount of, of embracing fear and uncertainty and, and, and battling resistance, no matter what it is. And right. So, I think that's really interesting that you say that. I think that that goes back to what we were just discussing with, you know, the left brain and the right brain. And I don't know if you've ever read in in the sense that you, 
you know, it's terrifying sometimes to listen to those inner voices that are telling you that you have, you know, I really, I want to write, I want to dance, I want to make music, you know, I want to do it so badly that I'm going to go sit out on the street and do it in front of people. Um, it, to listen to those voices, you have to give yourself the space right, uh, mentally and to physically to hear them. And that's what I think we don't get a lot in, in the world right now. You know, I think we're, we're starting to get some in this really odd time of quarantine and social distancing. At least I'm finding personally that I'm getting some, you know, some much needed mental space and, uh, and, it, and it's a blessing. But I, I don't know if you've, have you ever read the Celestine Prophecy? No, I've seen it. I've, I've seen the title, yeah. but I've never yeah. read it. Mm-mm. Yeah. So it talks quite a bit about what you were just speaking of and, and kind of following your listening to your truth and your inner vibrations. And it's saying that it says in, in very prayer phrase, but says that we all have our own unique path. And if we are not true to ourselves, then we're disrupting the energy of yeah. the entire world. Yeah. So that it's like a big puzzle. And if we're all doing and listening into our heart and doing what we're meant to do, then the whole world's puzzle energetically fits together. Yeah. But otherwise it's a push and pull and a lot of energy wasted. I like that. And Stephen, and Stephen Pressfield in, in the war of art kind of says the same thing. He says that if you, it's, the professional understands them when he's when I say professional, he means like the prof- someone that's pursuing life as an obligation instead of just being passive. He says that right if you th- that fear and uncertainty that's generated from that resistance is actually a barometer and a blessing, and that the the stronger it is, the more that you should probably be focusing on and, and work through because something significant will happen in the side. And if you don't pursue that, then you're shaming the universe as he puts it. Right. And, and I, yeah. I like that. And it's kind of what in line with what you just said about this, was it Celestine prophecy? Is that what you said? Is that what it's called? Celestine. Yeah. Celestine, Celestine prophecy. prophecy. It's a good read. It's a great read. Um, I read it actually the first time I read it was when I was doing that play in London and um, it stuck with me. It stuck with me for sure. Well, that's what you, and you, and you look at great art and great creatives and in, in, in every medium, mm-hmm. right. And, and when you and it works, mm-hmm. it always comes from a place of courage, authenticity, and transparency, right? Always. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All, all the the stuff that reson, yeah. the resonates and stays for a long that has lasting value. And that's what I say, even from a leadership front, that the currencies that's needed in our leaders today, in businesses, and in government are courage, transparency, and authenticity, which is so lacking on all those fronts, right? And that's. That's why I think focusing on the creatives, on the arts, is so necessary in today's environment. I'm a firm believer of that. And again, you know, if you were coming up, you know, and I was in the Marine Corps and even business, I was all about operations, processes, you know, and thinking I didn't have time for any of that. But the more that I've entrepreneurially, you got to be creative, right? You know that. I mean, you have a business in, in Austin. I mean, it's all about creativity. And, and taking chances and living in faith and everything that all these magis- these street musicians do, right? They just, they take leaps. And I don't even know if some of these street musicians know if they're, be- they're being courageous or not. They're probably just. I don't, I don't think that they do. I don't think yeah. that that's, uh, that's what was so interesting, I think, about it. And, and the whole process of all of, of that, that continues is 
you're meeting these people that they're not out there because it makes them courageous no. in a way, or uh-uh. that they're they're realizing they're out there because it's what they have to do exactly. <laughs> to express themselves. Right. And you know, we have there's a a, a very one of our favorite quotes from the project um, was from a gentleman named Roger Ridley. And he was a, a man who performed on the street um, in Santa Monica. And he actually starts our round the world recording of stand by me. And Roger has since passed on. Um, but he was one of the most powerful voices that you could, uh, you've ever heard. And you could hear him like streets away when he was singing. And, and I remember Mark going up to him and being like, man, like your voice is one of the best voices I've ever heard. What are you doing playing out here on (laughs) the street? And he said, man, I'm in the joy business. (laughs) Yeah. And we just, we love that, you know, that, you know, there's no, there was no barrier, you know, to be, to, to me, it was that the interest, that was what was so interesting about people, you know, performing, whether they had an audience or not, just because they had had something inside of them that they wanted to, to get out so badly and needed to get out so badly that they just went out and did it. Yeah, because if they did beautiful. Yeah, I do too. And I think it, that if they, I love it when, and I'm envious of that feeling of I have to do this or I'm going to die is, is essentially what they're feeling. Mm-hmm. Right? I have to do this mm-hmm. because if I don't, I'm going to die. And I think that's so... I'm envious of of that aspect of of musicians and creatives because I haven't tapped into something right. like that. I really haven't tapped into something like that. And there are things that I like to do and to pursue, but I don't know. You know, I do embrace. I do. I have found that by embracing creative side, I'm not afraid of things anymore. If that makes sense, I'm not afraid to try things, new oh, things. Does that make sense? That's really interesting. That's really interesting. So you're saying that. In trying in in embracing your creative side, you like give, can you give me an example? I'm just curious. Yeah, I, I don't. I'm thinking about trying things right now. You know, while I, oh, you know, and I think a lot of us are. You know, we're sitting at home. It's like, what can I try? You know, I thought about what my husband and I've laughed, but I keep saying I'm going to paint, <laughs> and I've never <laughs> painted. You know, but I, um, you know, I think I'm going to get some art supplies and 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 just do it. I mean, no one's judging. It's this unique time where. Yeah. You know, we're in our own personal space and no one's judging. So we have this kind of infinite possibilities of, of trying things. So I'm curious what you're, what you're saying. Like you feel, I think that's a really interesting concept that because you're feeling more like creative, that you're exercising more of your creative side, that you're more yeah. fearless. That's very interesting because you're a Marine as well. <laughs> right. Well, <laughs> so I, I, I don't, I, I get, I think it goes back to, again, as I became more aware of my creative side, but not only that, of, of other creatives, be it entrepreneurial, be it music, be it art, whatever, that they've embraced the fear and uncertainty, and then failure becomes a nonsensical word. Does that make sense? And so in, before yeah. that, it was like, it's, and you just said it a second ago, it's about there's no one judging you. And that's what prevents all of us from trying anything, right? Because we're afraid of mm-hmm. judging and we're afraid of air quote failure. But the more that you get around creatives and you see it and again, and you tap into the ones that are have embraced that authenticity, that transparency and that courage, whether they're doing it consciously or not, they're doing it. 
it, what does it even mean? Because there's really nothing, and that's what always cracks me up about critics. It's so and I, you know, it's so easy and it's fun to be a critic. It's easy to sit on the sidelines and say, "Oh, why did so and so?" No, but to get in the arena, the old cliche of getting in the arena and actually doing it. That, I mean, there's nothing more courageous than that. And I think that the more that I have embraced creatives and my own creativity, the fear and uncertainty is something I embrace instead of shy away from, if that makes sense. And so even like doing this podcast, yeah, I, think, I think if you look seven years ago when I launched the podcast, you know, I did it because I just felt like something I had to do. And I wasn't, I didn't care what anybody thought. But it, still, I mean, I want people to like me. I'm not going to kid you and think that if someone writes a bad review of the show or, you know, when I get done with a speech or a keynote, you know, there is a ego side of me that's relishes when people come up and say, man, that was amazing. Right. And if I don't get that, there's a little right. selfish side of me that's like, well, did I suck or what? You know, but then I try to just like, hey. right. yeah. then I try to, I, I mean, I try to just embrace, Hey, at least I got up there and I did it, you know, and I did my best and I'll try to do Absolutely. better. This. And I just think that's living. And I also, I had a coach, I've talked about her on the show. She's passed away. She had, she got breast cancer. She passed away, but she was a, um, I was, she was an acting coach about 10 years ago. She, there's only one here in Wichita. There's not a lot of acting coaches, but she did w with the, uh, <laughs> what's that guy's name? Meisner up in New York or the. Oh yeah. Yeah. Is that his name? Yeah. Meisner. It's yeah. A, it's like, a, yeah. Mm -hmm. it's, it's like, it's yep. like his Stanford method. Meisner. It's like yep. his method, right? Yep. The like, Meisner method. Yep. Right. She uh -huh. studied, she studied under him. And oh wow! And she's a—that's great. Yeah, and so I we studied Meisner a lot in college as well. Yeah, and so she had me do. I was having her help me do some of my speeches, and she got me to do some acting with her, you know. And we were. She told uh -huh. me to pick a scene, and I was just. And there was like a magazine on her thing. It was talking about Dustin Hoffman, and I said, "Well, okay, but what about that courtroom scene from Kramer versus Kramer?" And she goes, "Okay, go study that and come back and do it tomorrow." So, you know, the courtroom scene where he's sitting there talking yeah. about, and so we did that. And it's just, anyway, it was long story short, it was just amazing. And th those were exercises I did to become a better keynote speaker, if that makes sense. So I learned a lot. Absolutely. From, I, I think. Go ahead. Yeah. No, sorry. You go ahead. Well, I was just going to say that she um, was so great and she tapped into a, a side of me that I'd never knew really existed was my point. And then before one of my keynotes, it was my biggest keynote at the time. And it was a really big deal for me and a big crowd. And she, on the side of the stage, she was like, are you, are you scared? Are you nervous? Are you scared? And there was a side of me that was about to say, Oh no, I got this. And then I said, I mean, she could tell if I was, she could see through me anyway, but I said, yeah, I'm pretty scared. And she, and she grabbed me by the shoulders and she said, that's what it feels like to be alive. You know? And I just love that she did that. Right. And and I think back to like Henry Fonda used to throw up before he'd go on stage, even in his later years, even when he's doing Broadway plays and stuff. And I don't know. I guess my point is, is just embrace that feeling because that's that's what it's about. Anyway, I, I kind of went on a long time. I there, but. completely agree. No, it's fine. I think I think it's um, acting class actually was probably for me, like dancing was safe. I was confident in it. I was confident in my ability. I didn't have to speak. I was um, actually very shy growing up. Yeah. <laughs> A lot of people think that's pretty funny right now. Um, but I, um, I was quiet. I was an observer. 
you know, dance is a, is a silent medium most of the time, at least vocally. And, um, and when I got to college, I went to Northwestern uh, University, which has a really intense theater department. And I was in the theater department. Um, my acting class was, was kind of probably one of my bigger pivotal life experiences because it was so demanding of being present and being yeah, brave. Exactly. And there was no room for, there's room for everything except for not trying. Right. <laughs> and, and everyone else was so, was so incredibly open and brave as well that created this safe space just to try things. And it really has colored the, the rest of my life. So, um, I really, I really think that that that's awesome that you went to an acting coach to help you with keynote speaking. I think that kind of thing can really, you know, just like you said, it's the, it's back to the the balance of the of the two sides of the brain or the exploration of the two sides of the brain. Yeah, again, it's tapping into that authenticity and that and that transparency and that courage. That's what it's the whole kind of what I've talked about on the show. And I don't even know if creatives know that they're doing this too. But it, to me, it's it's tapping into the the agape love style of, of the universe, right? Where love is a, an action, a, a verb, right? Mm -hmm. Where you're actually doing something and that's what's so needed. And I say that on the show all the time, that, that everything we talk about here and from a leadership perspective, if you pursue it honestly, and that's and it's tied with cr the creativity side too, is that it's, you're, you're actually just, it's about kind of a selfless, sacrificial agape love act. And I think, true art does that right i think true art exposes right. that and i think that's why it's so important and that's why i think you know and i love you know everybody creates you know you know playing for change and then probably when your first things when you guys are sitting around thinking hey, what do we do we can change the world with this right everybody wants to change the world right when you're young <laughs> and right and, and i know that's part of your mission but you actually kind of are i mean by creating this the 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 nonprofit side where you're creating these schools right i mean you never know what right. impact you're doing right tell me a little bit about that i think what what was so what was about like playing for change and why i think it resonates with people um and has now you know for a number of years is because we were young and ambitious right. and and really relentless in our pursuit of of things being truthful um, it was a very long process before anybody ever saw playing any of our videos, years and years. Um, so, you know, we were out there in between jobs, recording, filming, piecing stuff together, raising more money, doing it again. Um, and the, and the, and it all happened very organically. And, and the, um, the foundation and the schools came out of, open and honest conversations with the musicians that we were recording. You know, we would ask them, you know, it became really apparent, like we were forming relationships with each of these individuals and, you know, they were welcoming us into their homes and their lives and, and being very open and vulnerable with us. And we just said, how can we, how can we help you? What, what, you know, how, what could we do to improve your life in some way or leave leave an leave with an impact on them um not just them leaving an impact on us with their music um and it was resoundingly can you help us you know preserve these musical traditions and and have a school for music and teach our kids music everything's getting lost 
And so that is how the foundation started. It came from, you know, really open dialogue and it's, it's grown into something that has stretched into ways we never saw possible or at the time when we were starting it or we, not that we didn't think they were possible, but they weren't the original intentions of the, of the, of the organization. We have, you know, music, I, I like to say it, it, it's the most incredible Trojan horse. Right, when right. you go in with, with music, you're, you're starting on even, on even playing field, if that makes sense. Like you're not coming in, I'm not coming in as an American to South Africa, say, and going, what, I know what you need. <laughs> right. Here's what you need. I'm going to put, put what I think you need on you. You're coming in with music. It starts an open dialogue and, and it builds trust. And then you're able to really talk about, you know, what is needed there. One of my favorite examples of this is in Nepal, we work with um, a couple of organizations in Kathmandu and, and out um, in rural Nepal in a little village called Tintale. And through the education program, we started learning from the mothers that one of the biggest problems in the area is human trafficking. And so the Kathmandu-based teachers that come out and, um, and teach the kids were having these conversations with the mothers. And so they then helped the mothers create, the mothers created um, a troupe, they're called the Tintale Mother Society, and they perform a little, they, they perform a play that they've created um, and travel around to the villages that acts out what a human trafficking situation is like. And so they've you know, been able to use music and art to teach, you know, hundreds of people about that don't have any other access to knowledge like this about um, the dangers of human trafficking in these little villages. And so that's something we never could have predicted. But I think, you know, coming from a place of just trying to listen um, and, and taking it slow and going slow, then you get to have these beautiful, uh, real conversations with people and, and really help them uh, develop their own voice and assess their own needs. I love that story. And I, and I, it can't be understated that, I mean, that is a perfect example of what we're talking about is like, you didn't know. I think a lot of people, they don't take the leap because they, they want to have everything kind of, or they think there's a requirement to have everything kind of ironed out. And instead, if they would just kind of pay attention to the calling or something, right? And you didn't really even know. And even though your original intentions were X, when you when you dove in, and just like you said, the music was the great Trojan horse, and you got in, you're like, oh, here, mm -hmm. here's an opportunity that I wasn't expecting. And then taking that same kind of level of courage to go through that door or choice of doors to go through, right? You never know where it's going to end up. And that's what I think is the kind of the point of all of this when, when you look at your kind of the obligations in life it's to, to make the place better than you found it and it takes a level of courage and, and authenticity and transparency to do to do it so i think right. that's a great example and that's yeah, just one story right i mean there's got to be right tons there's of a lot yeah yeah it's, it's pretty amazing what people um how they communicate and, and what they you know what they share and what they're working on and you know, what they're teaching their youth and 
you know, we like to, to work with the organizations or the, the, the people on the ground and let them create their own curriculum and, you know, and, um, and it's been really, it's really a great way of, I think, um, well, leaving things better yeah, than when I, you came in. Well, so. it, it, yeah. And I think, and I, I do think you're right that of all the art forms, music is probably the, the great equalizer or the great unifier. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is mm-hmm. amazing to think about, you know, you know, you've got seven main musical notes or 12 notes on a, key, on a keyboard. Mm-hmm. And through that 12 notes on the keyboard, you can make an infinite amount of, right? So it doesn't even matter. I mean, I know that kind of sounds, right. maybe sounds no. kind of hokey, but no, it's, it's just and, like, Oh, it's crazy. I think about it a lot. I mean, there's just more, it never ends music. Like, yeah. It just continues. And, and there's no limitations. Like it's never, really, no one is ever going to hit the time I, where they're like, Oh, we've done it. We've made the last song. <laughs> you know, I wrote the last song that was ever. Yeah. There's no more songs can be created. That's you know, it. It's, it's not going to happen. <laughs> it, it, which is just extraordinary when you think about it. It really is. What about, let's talk about, I'm curious about the business in Austin. I have to ask about that. I mean, mm-hmm. Why whiskey? Why Austin? Ah, that whiskey business. Um, uh, I came, started coming to Austin about 10 years ago, actually, with Playing for Change um, for South by Southwest. Right. And we, I had some friends here. I had um, a little family here. And I just kind of fell in love with the city yeah. and with the people. And it was um, a place I just kept coming back to and coming back to and now call home. And friends and I were hanging out one day and we were talking about how Austin is just unique as a unique city in the sense that it's very, it's a very brandable city. You know, people would like to, they, they like the vibe. They, they like the idea of it. They like the music. And we were just like, you know, there's not a really good local whiskey. And so we were like, I wonder if we could make a one, you know, how do you make a whiskey? And so my partner, one of my partners, um, started using his business contacts and, and asking around. And we actually just kind of did that. We just kind of started it. We started it really small just to see if it would, if it would taste good. And, um, and it did. And it's just slowly grown and it's become something that's just a really fun um, business. We, we like to tie it in with music quite a bit being that, that we're based in Austin and there's so much live music. Um, and we're, um, we do a lot of giving back to local musicians as well. And we've actually done some playing for change tie in concert events and things like that. Um, but yeah, you know, as I said, as we were saying, like, I mean, that, that is not my background. Um, but we were able to just kind of try it and, and it stuck. So it's still a learning curve, obviously it's not very old business, but, um, but we're doing well and um, hoping to ride out this storm of the, the pandemic. Um, so yeah, it's good. I'm proud of it. Yeah, I know. It looks great. I, I've, I'm, when I was doing my homework, I was like, man, I really like to try it. I love the uh-huh. brand. I love the branding of it. I, oh, I love the simplicity. I love the simplicity of the, uh, the look. Um, and then, yeah, I, I like how you well, kind of send you some. Oh, great. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of a, you know, I don't need too much in this isolation. I don't want to drink myself to the other side of the, yeah. of the pandemic. But. I know. <laughs> so, I know. It's uh, actually, what did they, I read the other day, the, the liquor business is up 290% overall. Yeah, 
That's crazy. The, yeah, it's kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. My daughter, um, um, my daughter, her mm-hmm. boyfriend, her, uh, his dad owns a bunch of liquor stores in the town that we live in, and she manages one of mm-hmm. them. And um, I haven't been able to see her because she's oh she's I guess an essential business, right? And and so yeah, she's right. So she's afraid to come over. She's twenty three, but she's afraid to come over because of all the contact that she's having, right? She doesn't want to ah, right. bring COVID into the house. Well, that's interesting. I, I love, um, God, there's so much. I'm looking at the time. We're only 30, we're already yeah. 35 minutes into this, but I love what you're wow. doing. I think that, you know, um, the fact that you, and I don't know if you look at what you've done as courageous. I mean, you've certainly tapped into um, taking risks and then what playing for change is, over a decade old, is it not? Am I doing the math right? Is that? It is. We actually we actually started the very first documentary right before nine eleven. So That's it's crazy. It's actually in its nineteenth year. Yes, and it was, but it was really um, kind of got its legs towards the end of two thousand eight, beginning of two thousand nine. That's when our first video went viral. Gotcha. And yeah, and then people started paying attention. It really resonated with, with people and it. And it still seems to be really resonating with people, um, that we are all able to come together. Um, even though we're all so far apart. So well, as we wrap up here, what's, what's next That's for you awesome. then? What's next for you then? Oh. What, 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 what's next for playing for change or, or what else are you working on? Yeah. Um, playing for change. We are, well, we're, we're still on the street recording. Um, believe it or not, we're still making songs around the world, which is, which is awesome. Um, the foundation is looking to expand. Um, obviously right now, everything is sort of on hold with, uh, with all businesses being closed. Um, but we're looking to expand, uh, into Colombia and Afghanistan, um, amongst other, some other, unique opportunities we've had. Um, we are, you know, personally, I, I would love to see, you know, PFC just continue. And these kids are starting to graduate. The, the kids we started in school, you know, when they were eight are now graduating, which is crazy. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that there's, like we said, there's an infinite amount of music. So it's nothing that I don't think I don't, I, I, it, it couldn't, it can't end and it shouldn't end. Um, and I think that I just hope that, that people, you know, continue to invest in themselves and invest in the arts um, because they're so important in feeding the spirit and feeding the human spirit. And we're certainly being challenged right now on a spiritual level and, an intellectual level and a physical level. And I think, you know, it's a good time to get out and play, you know, to try things. And, you know, personally, I plan to, um, I'm going to try painting (laughs) (laughs) and I have been dancing, dancing more at home actually, which is, which is crazy. There's a lot of online opportunities right now to take class in ways that I wouldn't normally, not normally, but necessarily go in and take a class because I feel like I'm past my, prime and you know we get scared yeah. um but it's nice to try things at home uh, in the safety of of your home 
I don't. It can't be understated, like you said. Feeding the spirit is so important, and I know this mm-hmm. is a leadership podcast, but I think you cannot be an effective leader in any aspect of your life without feeding your spirit in an authentic way. And so that's why I love what you're doing and and what you're tapping into. And I'll have links to all of this for playing the Change Foundation um, and playing Wonderful. for change. I know the music can be found. At least I know I found all the albums on um, uh, iTunes or Apple Music, whatever. Correct. Called now. Yep. So I saw that. You can find them all on iTunes, on Apple Music. All of our songs around the world are on YouTube. Yep. On our YouTube channel. We're actually doing a bunch of cool uh, live events while everyone's stuck at home. Yep. You know, and and Bono's um, Bono's worked with you. Checking in. Yep. Bono's worked with you. Keith Richards Richards has. Jimmy Buffett has. David Crosby has. I mean, you've, and Buddy Guy, you've had a lot of. Jackson Brown. Jackson Brown. Ringo Starr. Pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, The the musicians, uh, uh, you know, they love to have the opportunity to play with with people they normally wouldn't get to play with. Yeah. That's what we found. You know, they're like, this is awesome. Everyone's treated the same. I'll, I'll sit barefoot. You know, Keith is barefoot on his beach playing his guitar. <laughs> yeah. Um, just really, it's been really great. Tom Morello, Rage Against the Machine, yep, one of the great Tom guitar Morello. players he's participated in. Yeah. Very so cool. It's, it's been hum, it's been a humbling and awesome experience that we never anticipated, you know. That's great. So I think my, my biggest thing that I've learned from playing for change and from the process of leading this life has been just to listen to the opening, you know, just, you know, if there's an opening, I never would have seen myself in this position. I never would have said, Oh yes, I'm going to start a charity that has music education globally. Like, how do you think about that? You know, you, but it was an interesting left turn and I listened to it and we stuck it out with an, you know, try to have a lot try to have integrity with our project. And, and, um, and now here it is. So I, I that's, that's, uh, that's my lesson that well, I learned from, yeah, from I th- the process. I think that is the big lesson overall from this conversation. And that's come up time and time again on multiple conversations on this show that, you know, don't sometimes good enough is good enough. Just go through the door and see where it leads you. Right. And have the kind of self-awareness of, of when another opportunity presents itself. That's, that's to me is the big lesson. Correct. Yeah. I, I think that's the big lesson. Yes. The big one. Well, how can people get in touch with you and find out more about playing for change? Um, well, the best probably ways right now are on social media, um, playing for change, uh, and playing for change foundation have Facebook pages, um, under both of those names and Instagram as well. Um, playing for change is playing the number four and then change. So playing for change and playing for change foundation is just at playing for change foundation. Um, that's the best way to, to keep up with um, our new videos, our new programs, um, fundraisers that we're having with some of our artists. Keb Mo just played last weekend for us. He was incredible and raised $25,000 um, playing. We're trying to, you know, help out the communities that we um, we work with around the world. You know, they're they're facing the same thing. It's just, it's just a different uh you know, a different world. So we're doing everything we can to uh, inspire people and to continue to help. Well, keep it up. We need more people like you doing these things. And I appreciate what, what you've done up to this point. And I'm excited to see 
what you'll do in the next 10 years. So congratulations. Thank you very much. It was really wonderful talking to you. Yeah, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, thanks so much for tuning into the show. I hope you got some value out of this episode. If you did, please do me a huge favor. Tell somebody about this show. Tell your spouse, tell your kids, tell your coworkers. Let them know about the value that Dosa Leadership brings to your world. Go to dosaleadership.com. You can learn more about my services. If you're looking for somebody to speak, teach, or coach about leadership, I'm your guy. I'm known for my ability to transform individuals and organizations, teaching them the concept of creating a culture of decentralized leadership. I do think that is the secret sauce to facing all the challenges that we face today. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. I look forward to the next time we're together. And until the meantime, make it a great one.